Praise the Lord, we got a good group of young people heading out. Uh, so thankful again, uh, even as Richard has prayed uh, for the parents who bring them out. And so thankful for this text. So thankful to go through the early history of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's hard to believe uh, we've been through two chapters of the book of Acts. And uh, I hope you've really enjoyed again seeing the um, uh, the inauguration, the beginning of the, of the uh, church. And really, as we end off uh, chapter number two, we ended off really looking at the functionality of the church and the character of the church. And every, everything seemed to be idyllic. You know, there was great joy. There was great awe that happened to be again among the people. And even around the society that happened to be again around them, they found favor. In other words, they were looking at this just astonished at the testimony of the believers in Lord Jesus Christ. And there was people coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ day after day, such as the Lord uh, would save them. And as you look at that whole picture of early Christianity, it seems so idyllic, doesn't it? It seems so uh, amazing to look at it, and it looks, it looks so perfect. And then we come to chapter number three. And with chapter number three comes the rise of what we know, again, as per persecution, opposition to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that Jesus, again, promised in this life, that if you follow me, just as they rejected me, just as they hated me, they will reject and they will hate you. You know, Paul says a little later, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be persecuted, but will be persecuted. You know, as we live, as we function for the Lord Jesus Christ, we will have opposition. Now, the book of Acts is absolutely unique, you know, in all of the New Testament, in fact, all of, all of Scripture. And the reason why is because many times we look at the book, and some try to teach us that everything that we see in the book of Acts is normative. Otherwise, it's what we should see today. But one of the things that we pointed out, especially as we started this study, is every, everything's transitory. Right? Uh, as we look at the Gospels and we look at the celebration that happens to be again in the temple and everything that's going on in the temple, and then we come over to the epistles and see this worldwide church where there's no priesthood, where they're functioning in these various different places, we ask ourselves, how did we get there? You know, how did we get from the Gospels over to the epistles? And the bridge to take us to show us that transition happens to be the book of Acts. So when you look at the book of Acts, a lot of that happens to be in the book of Acts is not normative, but transitory, Tra uh, transitioning from one uh, age, the age again of Israel, over to the age of grace, or what we call the age of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why I say that is there's two events that happen to be right here that are trans tra uh, transitioning again in nature, and one that happens to be in the very first verse. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, the ninth hour was about three o'clock, and this was a traditional time that the Jews would pray, and they would gather in the temple. And here's what you have to understand. You know, in that early Christianity, here it is, believers didn't make a break with Judaism. In fact, they would look at them, their, themselves as part of the Judaic uh, culture, the Judaic uh, religion at this time. It wasn't until, until afterwards, after persecution arises, that they start to see what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is, what the body of the Lord Jesus Christ is. And there was no real place in, in all of Jerusalem where they could meet, where they could actually house all of the believers. So they would come together for this worship. They would also come together to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus. So when we see them gathering at the, at the temple, this is something that is transitioning, tra transitory in nature. But we also see that there's another thing, and that is the miracles that happen to be done. 
And we read about these in the last chapter in, uh, in verse number 43. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And notice who these signs were being done again. The apostles. This is not the rank and file of Christianity. This is not, again, the, the, the everyday Joe doing these signs and wonders, but these individuals that were chosen, that were selected by the Lord Jesus Christ that were doing the wonders. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning, and it's basically this. You know, in light that they did not have the New Testament in early Christianity, how would you know beyond a shadow of a doubt if somebody was actually teaching you the tr- truth about Jesus Christ? How, how would you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when somebody comes up and says, your hope is in Jesus you know, he came, he lived, he, he, um, he died, he, he rose from the grave. You know, how, 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 how would you know? How would you know that that is, that is an authentic message that happens to be again of the Lord Jesus Christ? You, you, you know, because I, I think it's easy for us today, isn't it? You know, if somebody brings us a message, if somebody preaches from the pulpit, and, may, and maybe it's a truth that, that we haven't recognized before, you know, there's something easy that we can do, isn't it? We can compare that message with the Word of God and see if it lines up. You know, so, so if somebody stands in the pulpit and they come, you know, and they start preaching about the end times and they start to say something like this, I've looked at all the festivals, all the new moons that happen to be again in the Old Testament, and I have come to a definite conclusion on the day and hour that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. Now, what do we do with a message like that? You know, it sounds, again, plausible. They've studied the Scripture. Well, what do we do? We compare what? Scripture with Scripture to see that these things are so. You know, such as in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 7, which says this. He, he said to them, it is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. And he's, and he's telling them the coming of his kingdom when Jesus Christ is coming back. And, and here's the truth that we're taught over and over in, in the Word of God. Nobody knows the times. Nobody knows the season. Nobody knows the day. So if somebody comes in the pulpit and says, I know the exact day, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that is a teaching to be rejected, right? That is something that happens to be false. Well, they didn't have the Word of God. So how would somebody know when somebody stood up and says, I have a message about Jesus, whether that happened to be true, whether that happened to be something that should be trusted, and how they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt is God validated these messengers through these signs and through these wonders, through these miracles that were done, that we're looking again at this morning. You know, it came through the power of Jesus Christ. You know, and one of the things that you have to realize is that uh, the miracles in and of themselves, these signs, these healings that, that, that were done, were, none, were not done at, at, at random. In fact, it's, it's amazing when you go th- further and further in the book of Acts, guess what you see less and less of? You see less and less of these healings. And why? Because more and more of the word of God happens to be written. You know, and that validated the preachers who came and preached. You know, even some of the apostles came across certain, certain cases because it's not related to the preaching of the gospel. It's not related to making known the Lord Jesus Christ, where they couldn't and didn't heal individuals. You know, an example of that happens to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 20. You know, Paul writing, and he says, Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, this beloved Trophimus, this beloved friend of Paul. I left him ill. You know, where? At Miletus. You know, and this is the thing that you have to realize. These 
miracles, these signs and these wonders were given to validate the message that would be preached. You know, the message that would be made known of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and the reason why I bring that up is because what often gets our attention when we read about these spectacular things that happen to be in the Word of God are the signs and wonders. You know, as if the signs and wonders are the end, they're a means to the end. And that is to see the Lord Jesus Christ, our great hope. That is to recognize beyond a shadow that there's something wrong in our world that happens to be again around us. And also point us to the great hope that happens to be in Jesus Christ. And that's what we should be looking at every time that we read about something, uh, some wonder, some sign, some miracle, some healing that happens to be in the Word of God. It should change and and take our, our focus uh, off ourselves, off uh, everything that happens to be around us, on our great hope that happens to be in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want for you this morning. You know, if you happen to be like me, you've had a hard week. You know, this world has gotten to you. You know, there's been disappointments. There's been sorrow. There's been suffering. There's been hardship. There's been temptations that happen to begin in your life. And we live in this fallen world. And one of the things that all of these miracles, again, point to is the reality of our salvation in Jesus Christ, where our true hope lies. And so what I want us to do is I really want us to look at this. I want us to walk through, get an understanding of what's going on, and then I want us to draw some conclusions. And I hope, again, as we draw those conclusions, it will help you every time that you read about a sign or wonder that happens to be again in the Word of God. See the spiritual application that happens to be again right there. But let's walk through. Let's see what takes place. And by way of introduction, rather than reading the whole passage, let's just read verses 2 and 3 of this passage. And look at what it says right here. It says, A man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked, to receive alms. Now, I think, I think a lot of this gets lost on us, doesn't it? You know, we don't have a temple. We don't have gates to or- in order to enter the city, again, of Windsor. You know, everyone happens to be in cars or some other mode of transportation. And we're not walking here and there and here and there. You know, when it names the uh, beautiful gate, it is re- actually the gate beautiful. That's the name of the gate. That was the entrance, right? It's not saying this is, this is a real nice and this is a wonderful gate. But that's how they came into the temple. So it was a popular thoroughfare. And the other thing you have to realize is that there was, no, there was nothing, uh, even, even the government of the day didn't provide this. There was nothing called a social safety net. You know, to provide for those, again, who had impairments to have in the beginning of life. And let me just say, if you have an impairment, I realize our government does not do enough really to help you. That We could always do more. We are to help and be merciful. You know, but, uh, but there is, the, is that net. There is that help, you know, with, the, with impairment, whatever that ha- impairment happens to be. In the ancient world, it, they didn't have it. You know, and what we meet at the beginning of this chapter is this man who was lame at birth. In other words, he never walked before. You know, and so you can imagine what his legs looked like. You know, he was either carried by a family member or he was carried by a trusted friend to the gate. Beautiful. He was left there early in the morning and he would be picked up probably by supper time. You know, and that was his whole function every day. There was usually a, um, either a cloak or a shawl that was laid in, fr- in fr- front of him to get to catch coins as people threw them there. You know, and, he, and, and as groups came through, he would yell out, uh, 
Alms, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And that's the way he would make his living. You know, and, and if you could ever imagine it, if you could ever see that, it, it would be a despicable, it would be a shocking incident. But he was there day after day after day after day after day. And here he sees Peter and John coming. And, and there's nothing special that happens to be there. Now, let me just take a little side route in here and let me say this. There happens to be so many people so, so often that, that criticize Christianity. They say Christianity many times does so much evil that happens to be again in society. And I think a lot of times that makes us question, does Christianity work? Does it really change our heart and cause us to be beneficial for those that happen to be around us? And I, and I will challenge you, if you ever think, about, think that Christianity is some big moral evil that happens to be out there, go, go out and, um, and start to look at the hospital system. Now, not only the hospital system in Canada, but all over the world, and see who started it. See, see who started the modern medicine movement. And what you will find is believer after believer after believer after believer. And the reason why is they didn't believe in, this, in the survival of the fittest. They believed beyond a shadow of a doubt, God has called us to be merciful. And so they would give them their lives to science in finding these cures for, for these, well, what, what used to be incurable diseases, to help mend, mend legs and take care of people that happen to be again out there. And if you ever wonder if Christianity works, just look. Just look at all the benefits in science and technology. Most of the profound ones have been done by believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can see that merciful spirit that happens to be again right there. But let's look again into the scene. And let's see the miracle itself because that happens to be in verses uh, 4 and following. It says, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. In other words, he expected some coins to be coming his way. But Peter said to him, I have, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know, and think about it. You know, what's a miracle? What's a sign? What's a wonder? I came across this definition by David Durrani, and I think, again, it's an excellent uh, a definition. And he says a miracle is this. He, he says it's a, a direct act of God in the external world in which he works outside, not against the common course of events. And this is, this is, this is why he does these things, these signs and wonders. Three things, to reveal himself, to authenticate his servants, and to manifest his nature and redemptive purposes. Do you get there? To reveal God. There is a God that happens to be in heaven, and he is wondrous. He is grand. He is all-wise, all-powerful. That happens to be above. To authenticate his servants. These truly are his servants. And the third thing is to show, again, the glory of his redemptive purposes. You know, and as you look at this miracle that took place, uh, it's done through the hands of Peter, isn't it? And Peter says, look at me. He wants no question whatsoever where this miracle comes from. But we realize Peter, Peter's just a vehicle. 
Because he, he directs the attention on where this miracle actually takes place, the person of this miracle. Because he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And notice he uses his full name. Christ, again, it means anointed one, the Messiah. This is the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? It's Jesus. And where's he from? Nazareth. He wants, wants beyond a shadow of a doubt, for them to know the person who is actually doing this miracle. And that's so important, isn't it? Because I think that phrase, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or in the name of Jesus Christ, again, of Nazareth, is many times used for those who claim that they can do signs, that they can do wonders, they can do miracles. It's almost like an incantation, uh, almost like a magic spell, right? Right, if I just say it, if I just believe it, you know, in these words and say it in these words, you know, I can manipulate all the powers, I can manipulate everything that happens to me, again, around, around us. And, it's, and it has more to do with witchcraft and magic than it does with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. You know, the reason why Peter says this is he wants people to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's not through his power. It's not through his will. But it's through the power and the will of another. And that happens to begin the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what do you think takes place? What do you think happens? You know, here's sovereign God. Here's the great God that happens to be above. Here is Jesus Christ, the enthroned one that happens to be above. And it's his will to heal his man and validate, again, his servants who are going to go on and preach the gospel right after this. You know, if that's his will, what do you think happens? And I think it's quite easy, isn't it? You know, because we read right after that, and he says, And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple. He, he had never entered the temple before. Think about it. He had never entered the temple before. Think of the thrill of this. And entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Again, I think it's hard to take this in, isn't it? It's really hard to take this in. Because remember, this man was lame from birth. You know, he had no muscles in his legs. He had no ligaments that happened to be again around his joints. You know, his bones were, were not strong. They, would, they didn't have calcium or anything that happened to be again in them. They would have been shriveled up. You can imagine, again, right from birth, there was something wrong. He went through those toddler years. He didn't learn to stand. He didn't learn to walk. He didn't learn to, to run. You know, right through through his teen years, into his adulthood, he had never used his legs. So think of how wondrous, because this is an instantaneous miracle. All of a sudden, there's legs. All of a sudden, again, they're full length. All of a sudden, the bones. All of a sudden, the ligaments. All of a sudden, the tendons are all there. All of a sudden, the muscles are there. But here's the amazing thing, because he's leafing, right? Right? He's enjoying. He's, he's, we would say in this modern-day vernacular, except, again, when we're really, really Baptist, he was dancing. You you know, he was just so joyous to have him begin in his spirit. And think of it, because he was able to do this instantaneously. I'm not just talking about the muscles and the tendons and the ligaments and the bones and all that, but walking takes coordination. Have you ever thought about that? Walking's falling, isn't it? You know, okay, here, here I go. I'm going to fall. Now what am I going to do? I'm going to catch myself, right? Running takes coordination. Leaping up and not having your legs straight takes coordination. You're going to hurt yourself. You know, and he has all this ability, all of this coordination, all of this strength. 
You know, and the amazing thing is, because think if, think of if somebody who's done something wonderful for you, something, something just absolutely amazing, what do you do? You go and, begins with a T, you go and what? You thank them. What does this man do? He praises God. And why? Because he knows, because of the words of Peter and John, where this miracle came from. There's only one place that this miracle could come from. There's only one place, and it's this God that happens to be again in heaven. And think about it, because I think it's, it's always great for us to put ourselves in the, um, in the uh, narrative itself. Because we read again uh, in verse number 9 and 10, and, and what happens to be again central in all these miracles is the response of the people. You know, how they respond. You know, because look at verses 9 and 10. It says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had, what had happened to him. And, and, and again, notice, notice the emphasis right here. The emphasis is on these people. How did they respond? This is something in public. This is not private. You know, this is something that's publicly done. And I don't think we can imagine this because, because there, there might have been a number of beggars that, have, that happened to be there, but this one is chosen for this miracle. You know, and I don't think we can imagine because if you came in and out, if you lived in Jerusalem and you came in and out of that gate beautiful, that gate beautiful every single day, or maybe you lived in Bethany a short way away and you came every single week and you came in and out, in and out, in and out, you would see him every single time. Probably the first 30 times it would catch your attention at how awful the condition of this man is. Your heart would be wrenched. But after a while, he would just be a piece of the furniture. You would hear him calling it, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. But you'd walk by. You become hardened to that situation. You know, the only time that you would notice him anymore is if he wasn't there. And all of a sudden, think of it, because he's, he would have been a well-known individual, just like there's many well-known individuals that happen to be around us. Maybe in your neighborhood, there's somebody that stands on the street corner at the same place at the same time, and you go by him all the time. You know, you, you know a, lot, a lot of times when I'm driving to the church, there's a guy who happens to be again out walking, you know, and I can see him, and I always recognize because he's always got a, you know, he's got bad knees, you know, and I can always see him rocking, rocking like that. You know, and I notice him every single time. You know, and he would have been an individual that happened to begin like that. People would know him. And all of a sudden, you see him in the temple. You see him all of a sudden walking and jumping, you know, and rejoicing and praising God. In fact, it says he's praising God twice in the passage of Scripture. Why? Because of what God has done. Isn't it amazing? It's because what God has done. You know, and we come and we say, again, where, where are you going this morning? Oh, we're going into church and we're praising God. And you would think by our stoicism many times, we're singing these great anthems. Look at what my God has done. He, look at what my Savior, he's risen from the grave. You'd think this, this is everyday news. You know, that praising God is not that great of a thing. That what Jesus Christ has done and offered in our lives is just not that fantastic. This man is praising God. He recognizes beyond a shadow of a doubt what he has done, and it's amazing, it's stunning, it's emotional, it's joyous, and it can't be anything other. 
And we noticed the people recognized him. The people stood in awe because, again, we read right there in, in verse number 10 that they were filled with wonder and amazement. And think about it. How could you not be filled with wonder and amazement? Eh? How, how could you not? I, I, and that's what these signs were meant to do. They were meant to grab the attention of others that happened to be again around us. Right? Because right after that is going to become the spiritual application, the spiritual message, again, of why this was done. You know, and that happens to be, again, a great question. You know, what is the application to even us living in the here and now? You know, what's the application? And I think there's a number of applications that we can make that uh, really buttress every time that we read of these miracles that happen to begin in the Word of God especially in the book of Acts. And one is that we have to realize that when we read the miracles, especially in the book of Acts, that we have to realize that these are the same kind. They're not a different kind. So often you hear that kind of language by those that happen to be in the charismatic movement. Yeah, 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 you have Jesus' miracles, and then you have ours. They're of a different kind. They're of a lower kind. This is of the same kind, right? We realize that. Remember in Mark chapter 2, you know, Mark chapter 2, there's Jesus doing all these signs, all of these wonders, and there's a huge uh, group of, of individuals around this house that Jesus is in as he's instructing the people. And the friends of this paralytic, you know, want to bring their paralytic friend to Jesus, but they can't get to him because of the crowd of people. So what do they do? They open up the roof, the roof and they lower the paralytic down. And Jesus is just astonished at their faith, so astonished that he looks at the paralytic and he says this, son... Your sins are forgiven. And we know what happens because the Pharisees are there and they're mumbling and they're groaning and they're complaining inside of themselves. This is blasphemy. Nobody can forgive sins except God. And they're absolutely right. Nobody can forgive sins. Sins are done against God. But who's Jesus Christ? Who's Jesus Christ? You know, and this this is what we read in Mark chapter 2. This is the response of Jesus. I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this, right? You will know that this one has the right, the authority to forgive sins. But the amazing thing that happens to be right here is this is a like-kind miracle, right? Rise up, get up, walk, right? Legs, right? Muscles, tendons, ability. Well, get up, walk. Right? And the response is the same. Astonishment. Amazement. We have never seen anything like that before. And think of it. Because there's a message for us. Every time that we read these miracles in the word of God, there's a message for us. Right? Because we realize Jesus died in the grave, he rose, and then he ascended uh, up into heaven. And it's so easy to think that Jesus is just up to here. He's not active today. He's not active in our lives. He is right up into heaven, but he's not active in our lives. And what these miracles show us beyond a shadow of a doubt, because they are like kind, right? We read them in the word of God, is this, that Jesus is active today. He really is. You know, the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you is absolutely correct. And this is a reminder, even though we don't see these signs and wonders, that our Jesus is active. He's alive. He's functioning in our lives. And that's a great lesson for us. But another great lesson, again, for us 
is that we have to ask ourselves, right? Right, because this is for me. Jesus is alive. Jesus is in my life. Jesus is my great comfort. Jesus is my great strength. He's the grace giver that and be in our life. But there's always an outward, isn't there? You know, there's something for us, but there's always something outward. And the outward, again, is basically this. Here's the question. How is the act of Christ, the act of Savior of our Lord, seen in a world that happens to be around us? How is he seen? And he's seen how? He's seen in his followers, right? In his proclaimers, in those who testify of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm going to use this language, and I hope it doesn't get lost on you, we incarnate Jesus Christ. And what that means is we put on the Lord, and here it is, and we live out that godly life. We live that Christ-like life. And as the song goes, I saw Jesus Christ in you. Right? We live that life out. We testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul even says this. Paul even says we're representatives of Jesus Christ. You know, other people are to see Jesus Christ in us. He talks about how we're new creations in Jesus Christ. He talks again how our sins have been forgiven. And then he says, based upon, based upon that, there's a functioning that we are to have in the world in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, based upon all of this, based upon these new trees, truths, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. This is what we're saying to the world that happens to be around you. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the, become the righteousness of God, right? God is making an appeal through us. As we live out Jesus Christ, as people see our holiness, as people see you are different, you have a joy that does not belong to this world, you have a care of others that happen to be again around you that is so, so different that happens to be around you. Why are you different? And we are ambassadors. God is making an appeal again through us, be reconciled to this great God. Look at what he has done in Jesus Christ, and we incarnate Jesus Christ. You know, that's how we've seen that happens to be again in the world that happens to be around us. But we also realize, and there are all these miracles and signs and wonders, that there's a spiritual meaning of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? You know, it tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt, again, of what Jesus Christ will accomplish, what he has accomplished in one sense, but what he will accomplish. You know, and it tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's something wrong in our lives, right? There's something wrong that happens to be again here. And I'm going to say it again. You know, when you look at the book of Acts, this is tra transitional, right? It's taking us from here to here. Everyone who was healed in the Gospels, everyone who was healed in the book of Acts, save the Lord Jesus Christ, died. Right? Even, even, even Paul, think of, think of the people that Paul healed. You know, when he's writing Galatians, he comes to the end of Galatians and he writes, and he uses secretary to pen that book. And the reason why we know that is because at the end he writes, see what big letters I, I, I write my name. You know, and a lot of people think that he had an eye disease. You know, he, he couldn't see. It, it, was, it, it, was, it was a deformity that happened to begin right there. So he was led to, from place to place. Uh, towards the end of his life, you know, and he really couldn't see. He really couldn't focus, you know, and that's why he needed a secretary. A lot of people think that this is the thorn in the flesh that he actually prayed for for three times that it might be removed. 
And God said, again, my grace is sufficient. But here's the whole point. You know, miracles were not the ultimate. You know, if miracles were the ultimate, um, on Wisecrackers on, uh, on Wednesday evening, we looked at some of the miracles of uh, Jesus. And one of the miracles was the healing of the centurion's little son. You know, and Jesus did it by a distance. Jesus could have said for the whole region of Judea, the whole region of Galatia, everyone be healed. And guess what? Guess what would happen to everybody? Everybody would have been healed. Right? That's, that's not the meaning. But what it's doing, what these miracles are doing, what these signs, what these wonders are doing, is pointing to a coming age. Pointing to, to something that Jesus Christ offers through that forgiveness of sins. You know, it's pointing to this king and this kingdom. And speaking of that, let me just um, uh, read Isaiah chapter 35, beginning at verse number 7. It says this, And the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then, they, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Listen to what is going to happen in the natural realm. The waters break forth in the wilderness. It streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Right? And we realize, even as we read Isaiah chapter 53, this is based upon the suffering servant of the Lord and the sacrifice that he will bring. You know, and that's what, that's what we have to understand. Healings and afflictions in and of themselves are, are not the end. It's not just an end. If we could just have an end of this, you know, that, that was the message. You know, that's not the message. What's the message? It's a taste of this kingdom to come. And every time I read in the word of God about Jesus Christ, I realize that he is the power of this kingdom to bring this kingdom to pass, and it will come to pass. In other words, please get this, our hope is not in the here and now. Our hope, boy, I hope, I hope so much so that God will heal me of this, that God will take away this affliction, that God will take away this problem. If he does, praise God for that. But that's not our hope. And there should be a longing in our hearts, right, as we look forward, as we look over the horizon for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is going to come one day and he's going to deliver us from death. He's going to deliver us from pain. He's going to deliver us from tears. He's going to deliver us from suffering. He's going to deliver us from all of the curse of sin and I will be able to enjoy my Jesus as much as redeemed. Humanity can enjoy him in a perfect state. In a perfect world. That's our hope. Let me just say it again. That's our hope. That's our reality. But there's a message in the here and now. You know, there's not only that message of what is going to come, but there's a spiritual message for us in the, in the here and now. And that is, again, if you look at some of the commands that happen to be in Scripture, I think there's, in one sense, they're so unloving. Don't you? I mean, can you imagine walking up in the gate of beautiful? You can imagine a lot of people around uh, uh, Peter and, J and John, and they heard these words. He heard this command. Here's this man, and you look at his legs, and he says this, rise up and walk. Can you think of anything more cruel? Can you? How about this? Here's the grieving loved ones. 
one that they love so much in this life who is taken far too early, as many times we say, there's no, there's no way anybody's taken far too early. God has appointed time, or appointed day, but we think that many times. And you can imagine again in the grief, here they are before the tomb, and somebody calls your loved one, come out of that tomb, come out of the grave. Lazarus, come out of there. Seems unloving, doesn't it? The only way that it seems unloving is if the person issuing the command does not have the power to allow them do, to do what was commanded. And think of it, because we're dead in trespasses and sins, aren't we? And what does that mean? That means beyond a shadow of a doubt, when the gospel is preached, there's only going to be one response, because there's only one response that a dead person can make, and guess what it is? It's no response. Isn't it true? Come forth, believe, repent. How unloving! Unless there's one who can give the ability to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, we often quote this verse, but in John chapter 6 and verse number 44, Jesus says this. He says, no one can come to me, right? No one. What does no one mean? What does no one mean? Come to me! No one can come unless the Father who sent me draws him. And here's the promise, I will raise him up on the last day. There's an inability to respond an inability to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and respond in saving faith. Now, think about it. So, here we are. Here here we are in the ancient world. And somebody is blinded. Somebody cannot hear. And what's the spiritual application? Spiritual application is is basically this. I am blind to the truths of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't hear. And please do not... Confuse that with with the physical blindness and physical lack of hearing. They can hear the gospel. They can hear, again, that Jesus is the God-man. He came and lived that perfect life. He died that substitutionary death. He conquered the penalty by rising from the grave. He's coming back. They can understand all of those truths. Those truths are easy to understand, but they're foolish. They can never see the significance. They can never see the glory. They can never see the wisdom. They can never respond in a way that is appropriate to the message, to what Jesus Christ has done. And why? Because they're blinded to that reality. I am going to free. I I can't hear the way I ought to hear. I am going to reject that message. I'm going to freely choose to reject that message. Right? And think of it. What's lameness? Right? What's lameness stand for? Well, what do you do with your legs? Right? I, I was watching uh, a show the other night, and it was a show from the 60s, and it brought me back to the 70s, actually. And uh, the mother opened the door, and she yelled for her son at the top of her lungs. And I can remember my mama... <laughs> opening the door. In fact, every mom did that. You know, it was supper time. You know, we were, we were playing you know, uh, uh, stickball or whatever. You know, Kevin, time time to go. And she, she would call my, uh, my uh, two other si- siblings home. 
right? And if he can't walk, guess what he can't do? He can't respond. Repent. Believe. Here it is. The lame man. Get up. And there's joy. Joy unspeakable. Look at my salvation. Look at the forgiveness of sins. Look at the hope that I have. And where did all that come from? Because it's not natural. Well, listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, <laughs> I love that, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. What did he do? Made us alive together with Christ. And here's the truth. By grace, you have been saved. Amazing, isn't it? And individuals who come in contact with us and see us and see our love for Christ, see our love again even for our fellow man, see our joy in our lives, regardless of what is going on in our lives. I should say this. This is something I haven't encountered before. This is something that's not natural. I mean, it's so easy to complain, isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it so easy to complain? Isn't it? I, I don't know about you, but I find it easy to complain in my life. Right? The other day, I couldn't start my battery. <laughs> it was stuck by the waterfront. You know? Whoa, 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 whoa. Right? It's so easy, easy to complain, isn't it? But when we recognize the glory of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives, how could we complain? May each of us, and may the church corporately at Emmanuel here, celebrate and continue to celebrate his works in our lives and in our hearts. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you that we have these narrative passages that are so robust, so significant. Lord, even as we look at our own lives, God, there's a way that we can look at this lame man who was lame from birth, and there's a way where we cannot identify with him. Lord, we've been able to walk, we've been able to run, we've been able to function. But, Lord, there's a way that we can identify with them. Lord, as we look over our lives before we came to Christ, we realize there was no desire for Christ, no love for the Lord Jesus Christ, no wanting to follow him, no desire for sins forgiven. Lord, no desire to make much of him, no desire to be with his people and identify with him. But we realize, Lord, something happened. Lord, a life that wasn't there was suddenly there. Suddenly we were horrified by our sin and our cost of sin against you, Lord. Suddenly we seen the only answer was not our good works, not our conformity of life, because we could never live a life that is worthy of your glory, worthy of your presence. But we're fixed on Jesus Christ. We're fixed on what he has done. 
We are fixed upon the one again who died and rose again and who is coming again. And God, our whole lives change. The whole direction. Our words, Lord, our actions, even our thoughts. And it should, Lord, give us a, um, a, a challenge that our lives, our words, our thoughts can change so much more when they're stayed upon Jesus Christ. Help us to be testimonies in this dark world of the beautiful light of Jesus Christ. And we'll give you all the glory. We thank you again in Christ's name. Amen. Brother.